your Bibles, and it's important that you have your Bible tonight. If you have your Bible, say amen. Praise God. I've got my preacher's Bible here tonight for Bible study. This is a big Bible. It's heavy. It has wide margins. And not only do I have a big Bible, I've got a big iPad. So we got a big iPad, a big Bible, and we're ready for Bible study. What do you all have? All right, good. Amen. You got the word. You got the word. Amen. Praise God. I was watching a small little clip of an individual that was talking about something that is recently stated. I've even stated it myself that we live in a culture and a society in which if you use the Bible as a source of authority, it will be rejected because people don't, they don't believe in the Bible. So you've got to try to come from another angle. You got to try to come from maybe a worldview angle, a philosophical angle about truth and what is truth and what are you going to put your value in and what's going to be the structure to your life and what have you. And he was saying that is the most ridiculous thing that he's ever heard in his life. And the reason he said that is because if you got, he said, if you went into the medieval times and the knight showed up and he's got his sword and he's getting ready to do battle and the other knight says, well, I don't believe in your sword. What's he going to do? Just put it down and try to philosophize. He said, the word of God is your sword. It's what you live by. You don't put it down, lay it down, and then try to grab something and, and, and try to defend yourself with something that is not going to be a defensible thing. You use the word of God because the word of God is what brings strength and anointing. It's what produces faith. Amen. Every problem that you face in life, you've got to have a source in terms of how to deal with it. I'm thankful tonight in the house of God, the source that I turn to in difficult times is the word of God. Not only do I want to read it, but I want to put it in my mind. That's why Bible quizzing is so very, very powerful. There are some situations in life you don't have anything but the word of God. And a word, a verse will come to you and it will strengthen you. Amen. And it will be a, it will sustain you. And if there's ever a time that we need sustainability, it's now. It's now. And so the word of God is important. And I want to turn to Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 20 to start the lesson tonight. Amen. Genesis chapter 8, verse number 20. This is the account of Noah. And we'll read a portion right from the middle of that particular account. Chapter 8, verse number 20 and 21. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and said... And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. A sweet smelling savor of a sacrifice of praise and worship that Noah gave. And God gives a covenantal statement that he would not destroy earth again by flood. This all starts in chapter number six. Let's just turn back and look at verse number one so that we get some kind of context. Verse number one of chapter six, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. It starts a downward trajectory that is repellent to God in its wickedness. But verse number eight says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about faithfulness, a foundational element of our walk with God. If we're ever going to get anywhere in God, it's going to be because we are faithful. Hallelujah. Has God been faithful to you? Amen. Has he walked with you? Has he, has he been true to his word? Amen. Has he been found faithful? 
Praise God. And if he has, then that should be an example, and we should exemplify that faithfulness back to him. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word tonight. We exalt you. We thank you for every precious saint of God, every person that is in the house of God tonight. We give to you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for the reading of the word. Make sure uh, before you leave tonight, you greet everybody in the house of God. We are talking about scripture and we're talking about elements that are foundational to living for God. And we have started talking about relational elements. Um, you come to God because of usually some things that take place or happen in your life and God touches you and you start a path toward God, a trajectory towards living for God. You leave the weak and the beggarly elements behind and you say, God's doing new things in my life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want a new direction. I'm tired of the old way of living. I'm tired of the dominion and the dysfunction. I want to live for God. And so God starts doing things in your life and directing you and building you up. And there are foundational elements that must be applied. And one of those elements that are very important are the relational elements. This is one of the real struggles when people come to the house of God. God's doing great things in their life, but their life is full of dysfunction. And so there's a lot of relational things that are problematic. And so inserted here before doctrinal things is a discussion about relational things that need to be applied to our life. We've talked about emotional wholeness. God wants us to be emotionally whole. People coming to the house of God, usually their lives are in disarray, and this is a relational thing that somehow they've got to get a grip on and a grasp on. And emotional wholeness is important. Gracious communication, being able to communicate and, and talk and converse in healthy ways. That's important. Healthy relationships. When you come out of a world that is a world full of bondage and sin, there's a lot of relationships that are fragmented. You come to the house of God. God wants to put those things together. You're not going to be able to put things together on the outside of God's mercy and God's grace. Praise God. When things are going bad, the best place to be is in the house of God because the anointing of God is there. The presence of God is there. The support of the family of God is there. The ideal is projected, not the reality, but the ideal. And we strive to reach for that. Stewardship, what we do with our time, the amount of time that we're spending, what we're doing with our money. It's not only stewardship is not only financial and money. It has to do with our time. It has to do with how we're creating this temple. Stewardship is important. And another important element that is relational is faithfulness. So I want to ask you a question here tonight as you're sitting there on the church pew. You're here. Maybe you're somewhere else. Uh, do you consider yourself a dependable person? That's a great question to ask. Why or why not? And then depending on how you answer that, how do we demonstrate faithfulness to God and our families? That's the direction that we're going tonight, and that's what we want to talk about. And we plucked out of the scripture the story of Noah because this was a very complex issue that required something of Noah who found grace in the eyes of God that allowed him and his obedience to be the safekeeping of his family. Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, I want you to know that my family is important to me. I'm glad they're in the house of God tonight. That's a priority. It is a priority. From the very moment they were born and we dedicated those children, that wasn't just a tradition. That wasn't, hey, look, we've got a new baby. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing with it, but we're going to dedicate it to God. Right? It's more than that. 
That dedication was not just a tradition. That was an emphatic statement that we are going to bring them to the house of God. We are going to raise them in the house of God. It's going to be a priority that our life is centered around the house of God. And that means something because it is the safekeeping of our families. And everyone said amen. Praise God. The complexity of Noah's task. You look at Genesis chapter 6, God tells him to do something that has never been done. He's talking about rain. He's talking about floods. He's talking about the wickedness of humanity. Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. God gives him some instructions. And so he starts out on this pathway that I call this distant theology. We read some of these stories from a distance, and we have a certain theology about what takes place. But if you were in the midst of what Noah was going, through building something and everybody coming by looking at what he's doing and then mocking him for what he's doing it's never rain what in the world are you doing you're building an ark you're building a boat you said you've heard from God you're doing these things because of the, the wickedness of humanity and Noah is is alone in that endeavor with his family there is a complexity there and and the way that he pushes through all of that is he is faithful to what God required and asked him to do. Sometimes you do things for God not because it's popular, not because it's the end thing. You do it because you're being faithful to what God has called you to do. I know that living for God is not going to be a popular endeavor. I don't live for God because of popularity. I live for God because I recognize God's wanting to direct my life. He saved me, redeemed me, salvation has been applied to my life I'm living for him not based on what everybody else is saying or doing I'm living for him because I love him praise God come on somebody I said I'm living for God because I love him I'm thankful for what he has richly done and therefore I'm putting into action that faithfulness doesn't matter what I feel. Sometimes, well, I don't, I, just, I don't feel, feel. Feelings, 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 feelings. Everybody's about feelings. Hey, living for God, sometimes your feelings are amiss. You live for God not based on your feelings, not based on what everybody else is saying. You live for God based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God that is in you. Amen. Well, I just want to be light. You're going to have some hard knocks in life, amen, because the most popular decisions that people make in their life many times is against the grain of what everyone else is doing. And here Noah is doing it, and, and he's building this. This is complex. If we could get into the picture of Noah's tasks, God honors Noah's faithfulness. He honors Noah's faithfulness, and there is the safekeeping of his family. This is the, the evangelistic work of God. From the very beginning, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were told to multiply, cultivate, take dominion, <clears throat> and their job was the salvation of their family. Your family is the first evangelistic effort that you're involved in, and it should be the number one priority. Well, I want to save the world. You can save the world and lose your family, and what have you gained? Your family is your first priority. And from that, from the basis of that, you reach out and you try to impact others. But the first priority, especially in Noah's life and his faithfulness, was I'm going to do this, no matter how complex this is, I'm going to be obedient to God and faithful to God because I want my family safe. Praise God. Right now, we need to stand to our feet and we need to pray that prayer. We need to pray for each and every one of our families right now that God's hand and God's anointing is upon everybody that's a part of our family. Could we pray that together right now? Lord, we thank you and praise you. You've given to us a priority, the safekeeping of our families. 
Praise God. There may be some that are not here. We pray for them that you would be a God that brings them back. Hallelujah. We pray that you would strengthen every member of our family, that your anointing would direct every footstep, every pathway, every, every walk that they take, that you would be a God that leads them in that. Amen. And let there be salvation applied and strength applied and redemption be applied. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. So faithfulness is very, very important. And there are some things that we should discuss. In every area of our lives, we can reflect faithfulness to God. And the scripture calls us to be steadfast and immovable, demonstrating a faithfulness that honors God, who is himself the ultimate example of faithfulness. If you're trying to look for an example of faithfulness, it can be found in God himself that is faithful, faithful to his word. Now, a scripture that helps us is kind of an unlikely one. I want you to turn there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 51. This is one of the most powerful passages of scripture that you will find if you have not highlighted it in your uh, Bible. That would be a great one to highlight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse number 51. If you have it, say amen. Praise God. If you're still turning there, say amen. If you're not sure what you're doing, say amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 51. This We'll read uh, all the way through this chapter because the end verse is what we're trying to get to. Are you ready? This is good. Are you ready? Brother Chris, are you ready? All right. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Mm. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 58, this is where we're going. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul said there's going to come a day when this mortality is going to put on immortality and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption and he is going to call us home in the twinkling of an eye and we are going to be changed. No more pain, no more earthly body. God is going to clothe us with a spiritual body and he is going to call us into the heavenlies. This is a great passage of scripture. And so because that's projected out there and that should be a hope to us, this life is not all there is. There is something better. We would be of most men miserable if this life was all there was. But God's got better things in store for us. And so we're supposed to pursue that. And then he gets to the end and he said, given all of that, that mystery, that ability, that hope, he said, make sure, brethren, that you're steadfast, unmovable, that you are faithful. You know what? I'm in the house of God here tonight. 
for and the reason why is because I want to be found faithful in the house of God, unmovable. I'm not going anywhere. I'm trusting in the Lord. Things may be shaking around me, but I'm going to be faithful to God. Ladies and gentlemen, if the church loses its mind, what's going to be the plight of the world that is looking for somebody that can provide something that is better than where they are? I want to be found faithful to God, faithful to his word. In the midst of difficulty, I want to be faithful. Praise God. Praise God. He said in that last verse, be steadfast. Nudge your neighbor and say, it's time you be steadfast. Uh, nudge your other neighbor and say, unmovable. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm not spinning my wheels. I'm not doing something that's not going to be returned back to me. I am laboring. Praise God. And it's not in vain in the Lord. God appreciates your faithfulness. God appreciates the fact that you are here tonight. Yeah, that's right. That's right. God appreciates faithfulness. I want to be faithful to God. What hopeful event does Paul describe in that passage of Scripture? He's talking about the rapture. And Jesus gives us a victory. Verse 57, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody feel defeated here tonight? Anybody feel victorious? Nobody raised their hand because nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to say, I feel terrible. <laughs> I feel defeated. I'm telling you, there is a spirit of defeat. There's a spirit of depression. Anybody felt that spirit? All right, well, if you haven't felt that spirit, then I'm not quite sure where you've been or where you are because everything that's going on in our world right now is depressing and if you're not careful you'll take on that companion and walk around with that it's a weighty load it's not victory it's it's painful it's it's a struggle and it's real ladies and gentlemen depression is real that's one of the reasons why I'm thankful tonight I could come into the sanctuary and spend just a few moments of time walking back and forth here praying and saying God I want to feel you in the sanctuary because I don't want these kind of struggles and difficulties anxiety stress and everything to weigh me down. I want to feel victory in the house of God. I want to feel a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I want the peace of God. Touch my mind and touch my heart. And if we ever need joy and peace and strength and encouragement, we need it in the house of God. Amen. Praise God. Based on our deliverance from sin and our resurrection hope, how should we live, says Paul? In this passage of scripture, we should live, we should be unmovable, we should be steadfast, we should be faithful. Between our salvation, God saves you, between our salvation and our resurrection, God's going to give you a resurrected body. Now, if you're, if you're 16 and you think you've got it all together, you may not feel like you need a resurrection body. But if you're 50 and everything's falling apart and everything hurts, this, this verse is going to mean more to you. <laughs> if you're taking stuff because you got bad this and bad that, you're going to be thankful that God gives to us a promise that this old body that is decaying is not going to be the body that we're going to carry for eternity and somebody said amen praise God that's a truth it's a truth so between our salvation and our resurrection we are to be faithful Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. God said, faithfulness to me is important. Serve me with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. What does it mean to be Lord? When, when you say, you are Lord of my life, what does that mean? That's not just a saying. That means something. That first 
century church when they said it was a proclamation when they said Jesus is Lord that was throwing down the gauntlet that said Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not we may be impacted by Caesar you read the book of Revelation we're having problems economically financially spiritually we are being persecuted on every side but we want to say emphatically that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not and the same thing applies to us who are faithful to God today we say Jesus is Lord governments are not Lord Jesus is Lord any other kind of idolatry is not Lord and what does that mean that means he's the Lord of my entire life everything whether it's small insignificant whether it's medium size whether it's large things he is Lord of my life he is Lord of every area of my life and I'm going to establish him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords in my life. He's not like some uh, member of the board of directors. <laughs> Jesus is not like that. Yeah, he's a, he's a member of the board of directors. No, he is Lord. He's the king over my life. And I'm, I'm serving him and I'm giving to him everything. And, and the proof of that is the way that I live my life. There's some things that I am faithful to. You can't say Jesus is Lord and then not live like it. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying emphatically, there are some things I'm putting in action in my life that declares to everybody that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to be faithful to his word. John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me. What? Keep my commandments. There's an action associated with being faithful to his word. John 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So Paul is piggybacking on with Jesus, and he's saying the word of God and the commandments of God are important, and we should be faithful to them, and we should walk in them. That, that means something. That's putting into action my faithfulness to God. I should be faithful in spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading, worship, fasting. These are things that I do so that I maintain a spiritual attitude. I'm putting it into action. I'm, I'm being faithful to God. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Spiritual disciplines is exercising myself unto godliness. Isn't that fascinating? Godliness just doesn't happen. It's something that you've got to put into action. I wish it did. You know what just happens? When, when you don't exercise yourself, you know what just happens? Carnality. It just happens. Don't do anything and see if you're going to be spiritual. It, it won't work that way. You've you got to exercise yourself to godliness. Some of you could have been doing other things, but you got ready and you came to the house of God. You exercised yourself to be here in the house of God because you are exercising unto godliness. And spiritual disciplines are an exercise in godliness. Paul was speaking to Timothy, and he said, do that. He said, bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, that doesn't mean that exercise doesn't profit. It just says when you look at the priority of spirituality versus your earthly temple, you should put more of a focus on godliness. Oh, boy. Now, some of you that have sunburned armpits and you work out three or four hours a day, but you don't read your Bible and you don't pray, this is what Paul is saying. That doesn't profit you anything. It would be better for you to be skinny and be a spiritual powerhouse than to be tough and to be a spiritual midget. I don't know. That might not be correct. 
That might not be politically correct. Spiritually insignificant. How's that? So that takes some work and that takes some effort. We should be faithful in our testimony. Let me ask you something. Has God done something for you? Well, that was kind of weak. <laughs> I mean, has God done something for you that is, that's your testimony. I can be faithful in testifying about God's goodness to me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We need to be faithful to God, and that means putting into action these things that says, I'm not only speaking it, but I'm putting my actions where my mouth is. And, and these are elemental, relational foundational things. Amen. Did you know our church is not here because of unfaithful people? Our church is here because of faithful people. And when, when you drive in the parking lot and you come in here and you see all of this and you, you know what this is built on? Faithfulness. It's based on faithfulness. It's based on people saying, I'm, I'm going to put into action my walk with God. Amen. And I'm going to be faithful to him. So faithfulness is extremely important, and God is the ultimate model, example that we should strive toward. I, I wouldn't look for faithfulness. There's, there's, there's some people in the world that will do amazing things to become good at their craft. They'll spend hours and hours and hours. Somebody told me, I read a book that said Larry Bird, when he was playing basketball, before he would get up and, and have breakfast, he would shoot 500 free throws. Every single morning, that's something that he would do. And you can, you can read examples of people that try to hone their craft, and they put a lot of time and effort into it. If we're going to be successful in living for God, we're going to have to apply some things to our life that's going to help us in living for God. Well, I just, man, I and it seems like I'm just a failure. I can never seem to get my head above the water. I, okay, well, the problem there is you're probably not being faithful to some things in your life. And that's producing some of this other struggle that you're facing. How do I get out of struggles that I'm in? I've got to apply some things in my life and be faithful to some things that God has called me to be. Amen? That's extremely important. Extremely important. Now, when you're faithful to God, since we're talking about families here and we talked about Noah and his family and the example that he lived, how can I be faithful to family? Our faithfulness to God will be reflected in our faithfulness to our families. Scripture gives directions for how spouses, parents, and children should interact in ways that bless one another. We should bless one another, not arm one another, not infringe upon one another, not manipulate one another, not control one another. These are all worldly ways, and when sin taints, it taints family relationships, and pretty soon there's a lot of dysfunction there. God calls us to a different model, and he calls us to a model that's based upon his own faithfulness to us so that we bless one another, not curse, not yell, not scream, not throw spaghetti at the wall and hope some would stick. No, God calls us to the ideal of our families being connected and blessed, not in turmoil. Amen. And the scripture is, 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 is very emphatic about this and gives to us a great example that is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 through chapter 6 and verse number 4. So turn there. Let's turn there in our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this cause, now watch this, he's going to go through quite, a, he's going to go through all of these 
relationships. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. This is the second time we've come across the word mystery as it pertains to faithfulness. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband or respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Praise God. Verse number, uh, that's what I said we were going to read, right? That's it. Ephesians chapter 5, 31 through 6, 4. So in this passage, what family roles does Paul address? He addresses father, mother, husband, wife, children. He's covering the basis, and he's using the example of how Christ loved the church. What are the ways spouses are to demonstrate faithfulness to each other? <clears throat> well, there at the end, he said that uh, every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So love and respect. It, there are two ways of demonstrating faithfulness. <clears throat> and then what are ways children exhibit faithfulness to parents? They obey in the Lord. Now that's that's a pretty interesting caveat there, right? It's not a <clears throat> the way that he sets this up is not just a blanket. You should love me. You should respect me. You should obey me. Look at this gavel here. In the Lord changes everything because he's setting it up in terms of how Christ loves the church. And what did he do? He died for the church. And that the church, based on his action, respects him for his sacrifice. And that children, in that environment of blessing, obey their parents in the Lord, which means that when you are when you are disciplining, when you are raising, when you are parenting, you're doing it through the example of Jesus Christ, who was very understanding, right? His life exemplified mercy and faithfulness and discipline. He called some people out, the woman that was caught in adultery. He, he, didn't, he didn't tell her, just keep sinning and doing what you're doing. He said, go and sin no more. But he had mercy. He had compassion. He looked at the big picture. He confronted those around him. He looked at all of that, and he came to a resolution. And so that should be what parenting is. This is a clear model of the family that is marked by love, respect, care, and provision. The devastating effects of sin on the family is terrible. It is terrible. I want to say emphatically here tonight that the church is not and does not promote and does not preach and teach divorce. We don't. Why? Because the devastating effects that it has on the family. Now, some people may not measure up to the reality or the reality may not measure up to the ideal. And so there are circumstances that happens. They're not good circumstances, ladies and gentlemen. They are not. I, 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 what do you want me to do? Bang the gavel? I don't know. We're always going to preach and teach that what God puts together, don't let anyone put asunder because it's better. It's God's plan. Sometimes people don't measure up to that. They come short. They fall short. It is devastating. And what's really devastating, it's usually devastating to the kids that think somehow they're the ones that have caused the problem. It's never them that caused the problem. 
but they find themselves in the middle, and now they have to deal with the devastating effects of sin. Hallelujah. Now, you may feel, well, that's condemnation, and what are you doing? Every single one of us in this building should champion the fact that God intends for families to be good families. If we ever come to a pulpit and we can't say that emphatically and feel resistance in the pew, something is wrong because every single one of us should champion the fact that God knows what he's doing you say what about my life it's been devastated and damaged okay I'm sorry I wish it could have been different but you still need to say God knows what he's doing the problem is not God the problem is not the Holy Ghost the problem is, is in all the other decisions and consequences of life but it's not God's fault God. This is faithfulness to God's principle despite what our family history has been. You may, have, you may come to God and your family is not all neat and tidy and packaged. And in our world today and in our culture today, that's really not the case anymore. There has been such uh, a movement against the family and the destruction of the family and the tearing down of the family. Did you know that our church is interesting in this respect? Uh, more so than, than other places because when you look at the history of our church, going back to the revival that happened with evangelist Verbal Bean, which was a, um, a, a revival that was seminal to the growth of our church, <clears throat> families came in to the church together. And there's, there's still a strong influence of families in the church now. Now, uh, be very careful because you, you need to be careful about who you talk about because all those families have married and intermarried and what have you, so you could be talking about <laughs> your aunt or uncle and not even know it. So <laughs> I'm still finding out that's so-and-so's brother or sister. Or <laughs> uh, and there is a, there's a movement in our world to tear the family down, the traditional family. It's been under attack for years. I still think we should promote the family. I think that's, that's something we should still promote. And we should also promote that if you don't have a family, Mem many of you have stated, this is, the church is my family. I don't have any other family uh, that, that is connected to me or that is healthy. And the church has become my family. So these are ways of <clears throat> talking about being faithful to God's family, despite what our family history has been. Amen. My father, I'll just uh, testify here a little bit. My father uh, had a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And so that created a path for me growing up that wasn't the best and they had to deal with all of that but I had the opportunity of, of either saying okay that's what I'm going to be and, and, and this is the temptation of a lot of people is to just continue to do whatever their family history is or I could say I, I'm not going to be that I'm going to be something different and I'm going to use my life experiences to be different and that's, that's what I've strived to do as a father is to be something that was different than maybe some of the dysfunction that was in my life. Paul's not just talking about marital fidelity here. He's talking about mutual love, respect, and care. He's talking about family relationships. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 6, he goes back and he grabs uh, that Old Testament verse, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that in thy day that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So he goes back and he picks that verse up. This can work if we're doing what we're doing in that example of it being in the Lord. Proverbs chapter twenty-two and verse number six: Fathers should teach and train in a manner that reveals biblical discipline and teachings of Jesus. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me just drop in here. I really don't have time to cover this, but I probably need to say this. 
Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 can become very, very troubling for some parents that do everything right, and then at some point their children go their own direction. What you have to understand is Proverbs is general wisdom. It's not exact wisdom, right? It's general wisdom. Exact wisdom would be everything that is said actually is in fact produced. And Proverbs is not written that way. It's in general if you do these things. <laughs> the percentages are going to be bad. I mean, for example, a soft answer turneth away wrath. So what's going to happen to the guy that decides to give a soft answer and I mean, <laughs> he gets his head knocked off. He's like, oh, I've lost faith in the Bible. <laughs> well, somebody didn't tell him there's an interpretive thing here in Proverbs. It's general wisdom. Generally, a soft answer will turn away wrath. But not always. You have to understand that. Training up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it, means that generally, if you do your best, there's a better chance of them being in the house of God than going out and living in tents of wickedness. But that doesn't mean that it's exact, because sometimes, at some point, that child is going to make their own decisions. And it's not connected to the way that you brought them up. Right? Those are consequences and decisions that they personally are going to make. And so you can't take that on yourself personally and then somehow feel like the scripture is not, not being real to you. It's general wisdom. Amen. We should provide everything that we can for our families. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Ladies and gentlemen, that's talking about monetary, but it's all talking, also talking about spiritually. We should strive our best to be our best so that God recognizes our faithfulness and it provides for the well-being of our family. I've got to hurry. Uh, faithful to the house of God. Our faithfulness to God will be reflected in our faithfulness to our local church. Recognizing that the local church is God's means of reaching our community, we should consistently serve and be part of the life of the church. I've got a verse here, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21. Ephesians 6 and 21. We are, I'm there. Chapter 6 and verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you may know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Paul describes Tychicus as a faithful minister and the mission that was entrusted to him was communication. He was bringing communication. In another place, he was bringing the offering. So this, this man was very faithful and he was consistent and Paul had confidence that not only would he communicate to the church in Ephesus and the Colossian church, but that he also would carry an offering to Jerusalem. He, he was faithful. He was faithful. Now, it didn't say anything about him being a great speaker. It didn't say anything about him being a big powerhouse, but he was a faithful individual. And Paul recognized, I'm not a one-man show. There's no way that Paul could do everything that he was going to do by himself. He had a team. There were people plugged in. Many were involved in the spreading of the gospel. And this is just one transporter of Paul's letters and one transporter of an offering to the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. The local church is the same way. And it can only progress with the same level of trust and dependability by its members. It's only going to go as far as people that are connected into it. If 90% are sitting back and saying, well, 10% will take care of everything, it's not going to make some headway. But if, if everybody is unified. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together. There was unity, great unity. And it produced something that was powerful. We practice our faithfulness in the church by the ministries, being involved in the ministries, being active in the ministries, 
being connected in the ministries and the leadership in the church because we're trying to move the gospel forward. And so it includes so, so many areas. And it becomes my responsibility as a faithful member of the body to figure out how I can connect and how I can be used in the local church. Faithfulness to the church and to the leadership that is in the church. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. The same writer that, that wrote about spiritual authority also said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not, the, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, everyone say exhorting, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. These, these are areas. My attendance to the house of God is being faithful to the local church. My involvement in ministry, whether I'm singing, whether I'm in the choir, whether I'm faithful uh, to to do musicianship and thank God for a, a a group of musicians that are faithful what happened if they just said huh you know I don't think I'm coming tonight it's no big deal uh, and, th and then we've got chaos we should be thankful that we've got anointed musicians that treat this like a ministry you you don't get what happens here everywhere. The level of excellence that takes place and anointing that takes place is something that we should be very, very thankful for. Amen. And that's a truth, whether you like it or not, says Governor Newsom. Oh, God, help him in Jesus' name. Touch his heart, his heart. My involvement in the church, the local church, it means a lot of, of different things. Um, tithing, offerings, global missions, construction projects, these are all involvement that I'm connected to the local church. One of the greatest indicators of our commitment is where we invest our money. I just need to throw this out there. Sometimes the most opinionated people about what the church should be or shouldn't be are people that give no tithes and no offerings. This is not good. This is not good. You commit mainly. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? You, you put your money where your commitment is. And then you put your time where your commitment is. You're investing. These are all ways of being faithful to the church. And then lastly tonight, lastly, I'm, I'm coming to a conclusion. Faithful to our commitments our faithfulness to God will be reflected in our faithfulness to the commitments we make to other people. Uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? James chapter 5 and verse number 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. I need to be faithful to God. I need to be faithful to my family. I need to be faithful to my church, and I need to be faithful to my commitments. When I say I'm going to do something, I need to follow through on it because it's a direct reflection of Jesus Christ himself. And, and what I say should be yea and nay. And James warned us that we should do this lest we would fall into condemnation. Now, I looked it up in another translation. This is an interesting translation. It's the Message Bible, and so sometimes it's way off. And sometimes it's actually pretty good, and this time it's pretty good. Since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like I swear to God to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up, God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. The, these are relational elements. 
you say yes to a commitment, that means that you follow through on the commitment. If you can't, you can't make the commitment, you say no. I can't. But you don't. See, <clears throat> James is turning on its head the religious leaders that would create all of these elaborate oaths. Now, when this happens, you should run from that guy. Right? The religious leaders would be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's make this oath. This is going to be an oath that I'm going to be there and show up, and we're going to agree and shake hands and stand on our heads and everything else, and that's an oath. Let's, let's make that oath. Okay, let's make another oath. Okay, if that guy's creating all kinds of oaths, to do something that he said he's going to do, he's probably not going to do it, and he's creating all this other stuff to create some kind of credibility when a yes would have been okay or a no would have been okay. People don't need to hear all the reasons why you could or couldn't make it or what was going on. Just say yes or just say no. Why? Because you need to be faithful to your commitments. This is a spiritual biblical truth that impacts all of our lives. When you go to work, you are supposed to be there on time. You made a commitment. Be faithful to your commitments. Did you know some places, if you don't show up on time, they'll kick you loose. Why? Because it's a microcosm of what you say you're going to do and how you're going to act. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't get there, if you're late three days and they give you three grace periods, then what they're saying is you're not going to be faithful to your commitments. You're not going to make it on time. And so if we give you a job and you don't get here, this is not going to be good for us. We're going to be left hanging. And so we're going to find somebody else that can be faithful to their commitment. These are relationship things that are directly connected to our walk with God and our faithfulness to God. I believe that the church should be some of the most committed people that when they say yes, it's yes. And when they say no, it's no. Not all this other stuff and all those reasons why we couldn't, we can't. That's not a good thing. God wants individuals that are faithful and you can be productive if you're an individual that follows through on your commitments. There's nothing worse. And there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than to hear in town somewhere in the community, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Man, he's incredible, talented, consistent, does great work. He's established a relationship in the community based on his faithfulness to his commitments. And there is nothing worse is to hear somebody say, oh, that guy goes to your church? A soft answer turneth away wrath. General knowledge, Proverbs, general Don't hit me. I'm not responsible for what he does outside of the four walls because when he's here, he's worshiping God. But when he's out there, his commitments are not faithful commitments. Oh, that's not good. That's not good at all. That's not good at all. God, God, calls, God calls us to rise above the way everybody else is doing it in the world. Right? Amen. And God will bless you and you will be a blessing to other people if you get this element in your life right. Amen. Let, let me finish here tonight. If Jesus keeps his promises and we endeavor to reflect who he is, what does that mean for how we fulfill our obligations? That means we should be like Jesus and fulfill our obligations. God has been faithful. He kept his promise to Abraham. He comes through. Amen. He walks in our steps. Amen. Praise God. Faithful to God and his word. Faithful to my family. Faithful in service to my church. Faithful in my commitments. These are things that are so very, very valued. Amen. As we stand together, these are relational things.
that are very, very important. Amen. Jesus is the epitome of keeping his promise. Amen. I don't need any music here. I'm just going to end in prayer. Jesus is the epitome of keeping his promises to us. Amen. And he always, he always is faithful to us. Even in the house of God tonight, you may feel like you're all alone. Know this, that God is faithful to you. Praise God, he's faithful to you. And he calls us to exemplify our actions and in our life. In faithfulness to him, faithfulness to our family, faithfulness to our church, and faithfulness to our commitments. Amen. Praise God. I believe in the house of God tonight that God's going to respond to each and every one of us that are gathered together here. Why do I say that? And why do I approach that with confidence? Because I know he's faithful. You may be facing circumstances here tonight that are difficult circumstances. But God is trustworthy and he's faithful to you. Amen. You feel that way tonight? Amen. Bring everything that you have and what you're facing in the house of God tonight. And let's conclude by lifting our hands and saying, God, be found faithful in the midst of your people. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I ask that you would anoint and touch every person that is gathered here tonight. There's a lot of circumstances and complexities that people face today. There's just a lot of things swirling. I pray that your anointing and your touch in the hand of God Amen. Your faithfulness would touch each and every family, every person, that you would open doors, that you would rebuke the devourer. You're not a God that brings condemnation on us, but you bring strength to us, a peace that passes understanding. You bring joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And I pray that anointing and that presence would be found in the house of God tonight and upon every person. Let it be conferred on them tonight. Hallelujah. I thank you and praise you. Come on, let's thank him together. I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a God that's faithful. If you said it in the past, you're a God that will do it in the present and in the future. We ask all of these things and we give to you thanks and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Let God be faithful to you. Now, before you leave, all right, don't go up and give somebody a big old hug and greet them with a brotherly kiss. Please do not do that. But... <laughs>